Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week, we're so fortunate to be joined by Tanya Giltris, all the way from Tokyo, Japan. Tanya is a literacy leader, instructional coach at an international school in Japan, consultant, presenter, and blogger. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. I'm really happy to be here with you guys. And Tanya, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you became an international instructional coach. Yeah. So I started off in the United States. That's where I'm from. And I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. So I definitely wanted to be an educator, even from a very young age. I think it was probably third grade when I first really felt like I wanted to be a teacher and that stuck with me. So I went to university and got a bachelor's in education and then started teaching in Virginia. That's where I'm from. And I taught there for several years. And um, I really, I think what led me into leadership, honestly, was just my passion for the, the content I was teaching. So I've always had a passion for reading and writing and literacy. And so I was only in my second year of teaching when I got promoted to being a uh, curriculum coordinator and department head. So right away that gave me a leadership opportunity and I immediately just enjoyed being able to help others, like go beyond just my classroom and help other people with their learning and with their planning and what they're doing with their students. So getting to to move my impact beyond just my individual classroom was really powerful for me. And so I really enjoyed that role. And then when I met my now husband, he's from Texas, which I think is your neck of the woods these days. So we moved down, I moved down to live with him there. uh, Once we got married, that was just outside of Fort Worth. So we were in the Fort Worth area and I taught and coached there as well. So that's when I moved into a literacy coaching role as well as a department head role. And so then I really, really latched on to that. And that's become a true passion of mine because then it wasn't even just helping beyond my classroom with curriculum planning and content planning, but it was actually helping teachers in their rooms, you know, in the nitty gritty of it all, helping them enhance their best practices and helping them with strategies hands on in the classroom with their students. So that's been an incredible work for me. And it was, uh, I guess, after four years in Texas that we decided to move abroad. And we first went to Thailand. And I served as a coach and teacher there. I also still taught some courses there. And that's also the role that I'm in now in Japan, where my role is split, where I'm a literacy teacher within our middle school. And then I also teach a few courses of grade six and grade eight language and literature. And I've enjoyed that going back to the split role because for a while before I moved abroad, I was just a coach. But it's been really nice getting to do both because I think staying in the classroom has kept a lot of things relevant for me and has actually helped me and my ability to to coach and empower others by still having that element where I can truly, truly empathize with the different things that they're going through. So that's been primarily my journey now. And then Last year, I've always done a bit of consulting over the years, presenting at different workshops and at different schools. But last year is when I really started to take a deeper dive into 
going for full-on consultancy visits at schools, like spending a week at a school and doing reading and writing workshop lab sites in their classrooms and things of that nature. So now that's been picking up so much. It's gone so well that I'll likely move full-time into that role, possibly even next academic year. So lots of exciting leadership growth um, and learning for me too. And in your transition from a teacher to an instructional coach, what was your largest misconception as you began your experience? That's a great question. I think probably my biggest misconception was probably thinking that I was so excited to move into that role. And so I think I kind of had a a little bit of rose-colored glasses on that it would immediately just be fantastic and I'd be able to just dive in and and make huge differences immediately in the classrooms that I was working in with the teachers I was coaching. But what I quickly learned was that it's really all about relationships and that relationship establishment, especially as a coach, I think it's, you know, relationships matter across the board, but I think especially in a coaching relationship, you really need to form that bond where the teacher knows that you're not there as their judge or their evaluator, you're really there as their partner. You know, you're there to to listen, you're there to ask reflective questions to help them. Like the real goal is to empower them. And that that takes trust and that takes building a relationship. So I think I needed to learn when I first began coaching, I needed to learn to slow down and really focus first on relationships before diving into diving into trying to build on certain skills and strategies and do all these different things in the classroom. I needed to keep the relationship first. And in your leadership experience, which skills were the most difficult to develop? I think the skills that were probably most difficult to develop for me as a leader, you know, and it it almost sounds a little contradictory because I was just saying relationships matter and they do, but also when you're in a leadership role, there are times when you have to make tough decisions, you know, and you really have to dig deep and stay true to your principles. And that could be very challenging and and a hard thing to grow if you're also the type of person where you want to really, you want everyone to be happy and, and you want to please everyone, like that's your goal. But at the same time, you're challenged by the fact that you can't always please everyone and you have to have some core principles that you stand for. And I think for me, it was hard at first to develop that sort of strength of, of knowing and trusting myself and trusting my principles. And even at times when maybe others didn't agree, you know, knowing that you have a strong foundation that you're standing for and that it's it's about standing for those principles rather than just rather than always making everyone happy, that there's a balance there. And as an instructional leader, how do you help your teachers grow in their knowledge and teaching strategies? So I think helping teachers grow, I think number one, as we've mentioned, establish a relationship with them, establish trust. It's sort of the same for many listeners out there who are leaders now, but have also been teachers in their past, or maybe are still a teacher right now. You know, the same thing that we want for the students in our classroom, the same best practices that we know there are for our students. It's the same, I think, in a teacher-coach relationship or in a teacher-administrator relationship and that we want to empower our teachers to where they have these skills on their own, that it's not really about this new latest teaching buzzword or strategy that we're giving them. That's not what it's about. It's more about empowering them with skills that they can use in multiple contexts, just as we do with our students. And so I think another big piece of that too then is still ensuring that 
teachers know they have agency and autonomy in the way they use those skills. So thankfully, there's a lot of talk now about student agency and learner agency, and that's super important and powerful. But I think we also have to remember teacher agency too. And that if we really want to empower our teachers, we we can coach into the skills, the deeper skills, but we need to remember to open up breathing space for their creative thinking and their um, the way that they want to use those skills so that there's still some choice and voice and ownership there. And I think through doing that, through giving them that space, you know, that's where purposeful risk taking can thrive. That's where innovation can thrive. That's where growth can thrive rather than keeping them in just like a a vacuum of control. You know, control isn't really going to lead to growth, but if we build trust and respect and agency, then there's a lot of room for growth. And as a leader, what is one area you want to change in education? Oh, just just one, Josh. (laughs) There's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So there there are many things that I think need to grow. If I had to zoom in on one, I think one that's been on my mind a lot lately is assessment. I feel like we've done a lot of powerful work in the world of education with innovating the way we teach and our teaching practices and innovating our classroom environment and all these different things. But assessment still feels very outdated, (laughs) that it has not innovated along with the teaching and along with the classroom environment. So it's like now we still have this assessment piece that doesn't at all mesh with, you know, the inquiry and agency and skill-based learning and all the conceptual understandings, all these things that we're doing in the classroom are not aligning with this outdated assessment that we have. So I think focusing so much on standardized tests or even just one type of assessment, one type of test. And a lot of times the tests are still totally just aligned to testing just the content and not really looking at the skills. So we know that it's really important that our learners are developing skills that they can use to approach their learning in any context and any time in their life, yet we're not really helping them progress and assess by assessing those skills. Instead, we're still just assessing content in a very limited way. So I'd like to see more innovation and change in assessment for sure. And so with the addition to change and innovation, you're going to have staff members who believe they're exceptional at their craft and they don't want to change. How do you create that culture of growth? That's a big question and a really important one. I think to create the culture of of growth, there's a few things. I think, again, and I'll, I'll be a broken record, but I think do whatever you can as a leader to establish true relationships with your staff, because they're going to be so much more open-minded when they respect you and you respect them. So I think, especially if you're a leader just starting off at whatever your leadership role is with, with the people you're working with, really work hard at, at the beginning of establishing that role to also establish relationships. That's number one um, in my book. And then I think after that, especially since all these things we're talking about all the time as educators, it's, it's all about the kids and it should be. They're the reason we're there. But I think bringing the kids into the discussion can be incredibly powerful to, to sway some of those naysayers once they hear from the kids themselves what a difference it makes for them. And there can be different ways to do that. You can involve kids in doing like a panel discussion 
at a staff meeting, or you can have kids record. There are different tools like um, Flipgrid or Recap that are digital tools to have kids record video clips um, of what they think, just like 40 second video clips on, on little topics. So you might ask them why agency matters to them or what they currently think about the way they're assessed and does it really show their learning. And it's incredibly impactful hearing from these kids. So many times they have mic drop worthy moments of, of saying it in a way that I would have never thought to say it. So that can often sway those who in their heart, they're, they're there for the right reason. They became a teacher because they want to do what's best for kids. But oftentimes it's hard, it's very human, I think, to have a way that you've always done things and like to do things. And there's a comfort to that. So it can be hard to push ourselves to, to move beyond that boundary. But if we have a solid relationship form with those people and there's mutual respect and we can show them the ways that it truly is what's best for kids, then I think you can start to have positive momentum in, in making positive change. And what are some characteristics that you believe every leader should possess in a similar role? I think um, some characteristics I would name out that I feel are, are really important and powerful would be to be genuine and sincere. I think that's extremely important. So sincerity. I would also say being present. I don't think you can really truly be a leader if you're not present. So depending on your role, that means really, really no matter what type of leadership role, I would think that means being in the classrooms, actually knowing what's going on in the day-to-day -day life of your teachers and students. So not just being in your office, really being present. I think listening, actively listening. When we talk about being an effective communicator, like listening is a huge piece of that. And I think it's often too often overlooked. So as a part of being present, really listening when others are coming to you and confiding in you and speaking to you. Along with all of that, then I think also the the ability as a leader to, to not try to micromanage or control things. So allowing space for all these things that we want in, in not just students, but in all humans around us that we want creativity, we want innovation, we want thoughtful, purposeful risk-taking. And there needs to be some breathing space for that. So allowing, really, I guess a way to say it would be honoring agency, that that's an important characteristic as a leader too. What is one initiative you've implemented on your campus or in your district that you are extremely proud of? Something I'm really proud of right now at Tokyo International School where I'm coaching is that I really pushed to move reading and writing workshop into our middle school Japanese literature classes. So we had already been using the workshop model across classes in English literature. And it's an incredibly powerful framework. And we see so much growth among our students and so much progress with them and being really authentic readers and writers with these skills that they can use for life as a reader and writer and seeing that power there. And for a long time, our Japanese department really wasn't getting the same level of support. And I just didn't think that that was just. So I worked to be able to open up time in my coaching role to be able to go into the Japanese literature classes and coach them as well. And although I live in Tokyo, I've only lived here a few years, so I am not fluent <laughs> in Japanese. That to me, that's made it even more powerful to show that these skills are transferable. That's why empowering our students with skills is so important. So I go into these Japanese classes and coach, but I'm coaching the students in English 
even though what they're doing in writing and what and when they're speaking, it's all in Japanese. Now they are bilingual, so they can still speak to me in English so that I understand what they're doing, but they're taking the different things that I'm conferencing with them about and applying it in Japanese. And and when I'm working with the Japanese teachers and we're planning, co-planning together or co-teaching together, I'm able to take the things that we know are powerful in English literacy instruction and apply that in the Japanese classrooms. And uh, we just started that last year. And so far, it's been incredibly powerful. It's just been amazing to see. And, and the Japanese teachers have even said, wow, you know, these the deeper thinking that they're doing about themes and character development, you know, they weren't seeing that before when we weren't using the workshop approach in their classrooms. So it's been a really positive experience so far. And I'm super excited to see where it continues to go. And for those who are teaching, who are thinking about starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? I would say, first off, I would find some leaders that you truly, genuinely admire and try to learn as much from them as possible. I think as leaders, as humans, being a lifelong learner is super important. And so really start to notice if you know you want to go into a leadership role yourself, what is it that you notice in other leaders around you, whether they're in your at your current school, whether they were in a past position that you held, what did you admire most about them and really think about the things that you can carry with you and emulate? Because I think, you know, that's that's what learners do. Um, And then I would also say to think about what you can be doing already in your current role to form relationships with those around you that you might be leading in the future. And then also think about what are you doing in your role to be as genuine as possible. So what are your principles? What will be the principles that you carry with you as a leader? So I think really, in other words, really establish your foundation, your base, so that no matter what role you go into, no matter what pressures there might be, especially when starting a new role, you have that core, that base to turn to, to kind of keep you grounded. One more thing I would add is is to keep the kids at the center of it all. You know, sometimes in a leadership role, we can get too far removed from the kids and they should really be, um, I even wrote a post about how the kids should be our North Star. And I really believe that. So I would say, keep the kids as your North Star. In addition to your coaching position, you speak at conferences, you blog, and you are very active on social media. How do you find your voice beyond your district? So I think, well, one way um, social media has been in- incredibly helpful with that as far as getting getting your voice out there beyond just your district or your local area. So um, Twitter especially, I just find it so inspiring and so amazing how just so many incredible educators have connected around the world. So building that professional learning network or PLN using tools like Twitter can be really powerful because then your thoughts are out there for everyone all over the world. I also think whatever you seek to do, you know, do it with all of your might and do it with all of your passion because that's often how things spread. So for example, I might go and consult at a school at first that's just a neighboring school in my area. But doing that with your full passion, then soon other schools beyond just your area hear about that and things start to spread. And then you get an opportunity to um, really open up doors and know that you're helping not just the people in your own building or in your own district, but way beyond. So I think really utilize the tools we have to, to spread the message around the world and then also go at it with full passion. 
And I know you're transitioning from the coaching position to consulting. What was the biggest surprise in that new position? I think for for me, the biggest surprise has been, and it's been um, a beautiful, pleasant surprise, actually, has been just how much how much we all have in common at our core when we're really trying to do what's best for kids. So when I first started consulting, I think there was some hesitancy there of, well, you know, I'm going into this school and I don't know this staff, you know, I'm used to coaching and presenting within my district or with my staff, but this is going to be all brand new. But then discovering that in general, we want what's best for kids and we want to do what's best for kids. And that common thread then gives you there. I can be at a school in Singapore, I can be at a school in Japan, I can be in China, I could be in the US. And yet there are still these this common heart of it all of what we all want. So that's been a beautiful surprise to see the connections in in our spirit as educators and that our hearts are really there with the kids and that many of the things that we're seeing need to change. Most people are on the same page and want that too. So seeing that common ground has been really powerful. And it's been especially interesting because there's the contrast there too, that each school is very, very different as well. And that's something as a consultant that I really try to do is every school I go into, I'm planning beforehand of what can I do to make things unique and customized to that school. It's not just because I know with my teacher hat on from being in many PDs across the course of my career, you know, it's, it's not a great feeling when someone comes in and just gives you like a canned presentation or a canned response to things. So I've also worked really hard to try to customize for each school. So there's this a surprise has been this beautiful mix of each school is so unique and different and has its own culture and its own feel. Yet at the same time, we have this common thread of wanting what's best for kids and being passionate about learning. And that's been beautiful to see and be a part of. In closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? For me, the most enjoyable aspect of leadership is seeing how things that I can do, whether it's just listening or whether it's through coaching or whether it's through consulting, whatever role as a leader, seeing that what I do actually is empowering other people, both students and teachers. And to me, that's incredibly fulfilling. I think to know that I'm making a positive impact and I'm not just making a positive impact because I do something, but it's a positive impact in the sense that it's actually empowering others to also do positive things for the rest of their lives. So just seeing the the vast impact of that is incredible. <laughs> like it just does uh, still, still makes me in awe many times, just the difference that we can make in the lives that we can touch. How can our listeners connect with you on social media? I'm always, always looking to connect with others. So um, I'm really active on Twitter um, as far as in a professional capacity. So they can follow me at, at Mrs. Underscore Gilchrist. So at MRS underscore and then my last name, Gilchrist. And then they can also connect with me online at my website. And it's just my name, tanyagilchrist.com. And I blog there pretty regularly. And there's also information there on how to contact me if schools want to connect for consulting or online coaching, things like that. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and share your ratings and reviews. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Tanya, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you so much for having me. It was a true pleasure.